The Leia High Pan Show. Sponsored by Step Finance, your go-to DeFi portfolio manager on Solana. Luno, if you're just getting into Bitcoin, it's the perfect place to start. Hey guys, and welcome back to the Lay High Plan Show. As always, it is powered by the VC firm Icon Plus Capital, and it is sponsored by BlockFi. So if you want to check them out, I've left a link somewhere in the description, in the bio. I'm not really sure in the comments. So go check them out. So joining me today, I have a really exciting guest, somebody who we should have done this in person, which we were just saying before the show, um, but we will do eventually. But today it's going to be really interesting. Um, I think we differ on a lot of different issues. So I'm really excited to delve into this. And I'm actually under strict instructions to make this juicy. So joining me today is the founder of What Bitcoin Did, journalist, filmmaker and chairman of Real Bedford FC. It is Peter McCormack. What's up, Peter? Hi, Alea. How are you? Are you doing well? I'm good. Hiding. I'm good. I'm just retweeting out. Let's get some people in here. Um, yeah, not not juice. I like just let's get into some interesting topics because uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. And yeah, you know, these podcasts where you just go, where do you discover Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, all those kind of things. They're done over and over. So let's just go. Like if we've got limited you time, go let's straight in. Some, let's get. Let's just get in some interesting topics and let's keep it all very right, English it. and very civilized. Okay, let's do it. As I said, um, we do differ on lots of different issues, but I'm sure once we delve into them, we'll find common ground. But I know you didn't want to do the basic stuff, but I do just want to start and talk about um, Real Bedford FC because that is so cool. So you're the chairman of Bedford Football Club. Just explain that to me. And where does Bitcoin come into this? Yeah, yes and no. There's a complicated answer to that. So we are still going through the process of the acquisition uh we've established the company nakamoto 11 limited uh the team we established next season will be called rail bedford the team we are acquiring is bedford fc but there are some complexities involved in the purchase uh but we are being supported by bedford football association and getting that over the line so there's just some things we're dealing with there uh we can't talk about it all because there's just the things that have to be done um and so some people are like moaning at us on twitter etc but it once, once the uh, acquisition is complete, we'll explain like everything that happened and why it took a bit of time. But yeah, no, it's very exciting. Um, yeah, it's the it's the most exciting thing in my life right now. I get to go and watch this team every week and uh, influence their future. So yeah, it's very exciting. I'm uh, I'm loving it. Yeah. So w- what does it mean though to have Bitcoin a part of it? Where's the Bitcoin connection? How does that come into it? I know you have the Gemini sponsor, which was amazing. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was all about. Uh, I'm from Bedford, and and you know, anyone listens to my podcast or follows me on Twitter, I'm very proud of this shit little town I'm from. Um, I grew up here, my <laughs> friends so are funny. here, I, I still live here, um, and it's very easy to move away from your shit little town, go to a big city, uh, a London, a, a New York, and live that life and contribute to that economy. But I've always wanted to support the local economy of Bedford. Um, because it's where I'm from, and I, I want to help it. It's, it, it is a it's a, it is a deprived town. Um, a lot of the big companies that used to be here years ago aren't here anymore. Um, you know, there are families here who struggle, um, and I always felt like I've been so I've, I've been so lucky this last few years in what's happened with the podcast um, that I I was like, what what can I do for my town? And I always felt like it was a town that was big enough to support a football league club. Uh, we don't. We've never been in the football league, Bedford. Uh, has never had that Uh, and I've always felt like it's a town that can support it so as a plan how can you make this happen 
And uh, it just hit me like six months ago. I was like, well, hold on a second. If I just make them the Bitcoin team, I know what Bitcoiners are like. Bitcoiners love MicroStrategy, even though they don't really know what, what they do or care about it. And they love Michael yes. Saylor. And, and that, <laughs> they, they now absolutely love El Salvador. It's everyone's favorite country. I was like, well, if I do a Bitcoin-based company and uh, maybe this is something they'll get behind the support. And if, if, if I can make that work, then I can make the economics work. And, and so far, it's been fairly successful. I've sold... I think close to a million pound of sponsorships. Um, our merch sales are now live. We've done nearly fifty thousand pound in merch sales. Merch sales, which for a club in the tenth tier, is like it's ridiculous. I mean, we're we're heading for a year one revenue of a of a low league two club, and so that just puts us in this position where we can afford to invest in the team, the players, uh, and local football. And, and you know, if I can make this work, if I can bring league football to Bedford, that's going to create jobs in Bedford. Uh, that's going to bring just like just like something cool for the town. And then away teams come in here. They're going to bring fans who are going to spend money in the town. So, like, this is this is like this cool thing where I get to, I get to do three things at once. I get to like live out a personal dream and goal, mm. which is just a yes. Every bloke's kind of well, not maybe some women too, but like every bloke's kind of dream is to own their their local football club. Um, I get to do that. I get to uh, support my local town, which I love, and I also get to promote Bitcoin. I've just bring all uh, like allowing these things to converge at once. So. So yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing. I feel very blessed and lucky that people are supporting this. That's amazing. When I saw you were doing it, I was so um, I was like so happy because I love to see people staying true to who they are and um, you know with the success, kind of giving back. Um, no, so I I love it. Like I'm following your journey and I'm a fan. I think it's great. Um, so yeah, let's go into this. Okay. So when we were talking about you know what we should what we should talk about, you said to me um, you know people call you and I quote a statist cuck I don't know what that yeah. means okay I don't know what that means I know what a status is I don't know what a cuck is honestly you definitely know what a cuck is coming you just don't want to admit okay. you know what it is everyone knows I what don't a cuck it is, is. is, is cuck. it is it a body part or is it like so a... we, it's a weak or servile man oh uh, is that what a cuck it's like an incel yeah. or something it's like a a, a a man whose wife is is sexually unfaithful that's uh that's oh, what they refer to it so uh I think it's just it's used as like a a uh, it's a derogatory term to imply that you're a bit of a pussy or something um right and because i'm somebody who's like there's in the bitcoin community there's a lot of libertarians and uh people who think democracy has completely failed they want a downfall of the state and i am somebody who believes in democracy and and, and we can get into that it's not just like some irrational uh, opinion i've come to I am somebody who believes in democracy and rather than burn it down, I'd like to strengthen it. I, I recognize its uh, failings, but I spend a lot of time researching it. I, you know, I, I don't just look at uh, democracy. I look at other forms of governance and it's an area I'm really interested in, but, but often I get called a status cuck online, which, which has, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange term to throw at someone because it's kind of coercive because who wants to be called a cuck? No one wants to be called a cuck. No one wants to be called a pussy. So it's kind of a coercive term. It's like, well, if you're a, if you're a believe in democracy and if you uh, then you're a cuck and therefore you're a pussy and you're not one of us and therefore like who's going to admit that? So what it does, it actually stifles debate around what is a really super important subject is governance. Like, how do we govern ourselves? Uh, everyone is looking at Canada right now and, and seeing how authoritarian they're becoming, but that's only within our cohort um they want they their parliamentary vote went through overwhelmingly um yeah. to extend the uh special powers 
And also, if you if you kind of slip out of you, this, this kind of Bitcoin or crypto cohort and you go into some of the other fees or other discussions regarding this, there's lots of people who are very much against the truckers uh, and who very much support the government and what they're doing. So um, for me, um, yeah, being called a status khaki, it's kind of annoying. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I'm not going to be coerced into changing my beliefs. I'm, I am someone who believes in democracy and it comes from uh, an, an a number of different angles and it also comes with this thing where people are like oh we, if you believe in the government uh then you're not a bitcoiner like or you don't understand bitcoin and i always think again that's kind of like a uh, statement um of that comes from kind of a naive and immature place because uh, bitcoin has no political political ideolo- ideology it's it's money and yes it's money outside of the control of the state but it doesn't it doesn't define it as a as a way to bring down the state it is not implied that by using bitcoin you're you're trying to bring down the state for me bitcoin is actually something that i think can make democracy stronger by becoming a uh, a, a check against power a check against the state by uh, hopefully leading to more uh uh responsible economic policy and if you look to somebody like josh mandel who's in ohio at the moment and you go and watch his debate between himself and morgan harper um, he's a Bitcoin, but he, what he talks about is smaller government, bigger people. And if you want for smaller government, bigger people, you support Bitcoin. If you want for big government, small people, then you don't support Bitcoin. So I'm kind of in that space. I'm, I'm not just going to be sucked in and say, um, oh, I'm a libertarian. Let's burn it all down or um, let's um, get rid of the state um, just because other people are saying it because I just don't believe it. Uh, so I think it's an important subject and it's something that's kind of like worth diving into. Yeah, let's go into it because um, this is something that I always kind of found – that I didn't understand with you. And I think a lot of people might feel similar who identify themselves as Bitcoiners or whatever. So to choose Bitcoin, right. And to sort of put it on this pedestal is this idea that you, in my opinion, are suspicious of authority. That's why we want to decentralize the power, decentralize the network. You're suspicious of central banks because they print more money. Do you agree? I'm not suspicious. The suspicion is like, Oh, I think something might be happening. I'm not suspicious at all. I think, I think government and central uh, central banks have been hugely irresponsible with economic policy for this, what for decades okay. now. I mean, they used to run surpluses and and deficits. Now there's no there's no such thing as a surplus. Everything is a deficit and a grow, growing deficit. We, you know, we've moved from this place of kind of financial responsibility. I'm not suspicious. I I, I absolutely okay. detest what they've done. But I uh, just because. I don't like what's happened with central banks and government doesn't mean I want to burn it all down. It's just, we've evolved to this place. And I think it's like, how do you strengthen it now? Yeah, I agree. I also don't want to burn it down. I would, I, I would call myself a libertarian, but I don't think we should burn it down. And I'm for democracy, not an anarchist at all. But I just feel that. How do you square just, that? How do you square uh, yourself as a libertarian, but for democracy? So I think that there's a spectrum. Like, I don't think everything is black and white. And so I, generally speaking, am a libertarian that believes in small government. And I'm suspicious of government. So when the lockdown started, I was very, very suspicious, mainly because, you know, I saw what happened in the 20th century. And I understand that if you give a little bit, they will take a mile. And so this is another topic I wanted to get into with you. You were pro-lockdown. And I, I understand for a, short, for a very short, short amount of time. What happened? What changed? Well, I just saw the evidence that they don't work. I mean, at the very start, the reason I was pro-lockdown is because, you know, firstly, we had these kind of weird videos coming out of China, of people collapsing on the floor and dying. But I was following the news reports in Italy. Italy was the first country in Europe that was 
you know, severely affected by COVID. Um, and uh, I was following the journalist reports going into these uh, villages and towns that were showing that people, like a lot of people, the hospitals were overrun and people were dying. And because Italy was the first that was badly hit. So it looked scary. I then did an interview for my other, I used to have the other podcast, Defiance, and I did an interview with my friend who's a doctor in uh, London. That interview is still available. And he, he, I mean, he cried in the interview. He, he was under so much stress because what happened was they had a trickle and then they had, then the, very quickly within a couple of days, the hospital was overrun by people. And then they had to declare an emergency because they couldn't deal with everyone coming into the hospital. So we're having to ship people into other hospitals. So I think there was a natural reaction to that to say, well, holy shit, this, we don't know how bad this is going to be. And I fully supported the idea of, of a lockdown as a, as a, as a method of kind of like easing off on the pressure on what was happening. But what happened was over time it became evident that 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 lockdowns actually had uh, a massively detrimental effect and i very quickly changed my mind and yeah thinking that a lockdown is a good idea doesn't make you an evil person you know it, was, it came from a, a rational place and when i was wrong i i admitted i was wrong i was like i, I got this wrong but i can't say I, I would change my view in the same situation because in the same situation i'd be dealing with the same information i think at the time it it was logical for many people to think, okay, a lockdown seems like a good idea, but we were told it was a two-week lockdown. And there's, there's but but why did you believe them? Why did you believe them? That's what I'm saying. With this like suspicious mentality, why did you believe it would just be two weeks? I'm just going with the information that's put in front of me, that I'm uh, speaking to a, a doctor who's telling me the hospital's overrun. I'm seeing the uh, the government investing in building these Nightingale hospitals so they could deal with overflow, and they said there was a two-week lockdown. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a sensible idea. Yeah, very quickly after kind of like month, two months, three months, it's obvious this isn't a good idea. We saw the impact on uh, uh, family life, on businesses, and you know, I very quickly changed my mind. But this is one of the problems with something like Twitter. You know, things are taken out of context, or you you say one, especially if you've got hundreds of thousands of followers, you say one wrong thing, these little minions want to just hold it against you for the rest of your life, like they've never said something stupid in their life, or they've never made a mistake, and and also like. Like I said, this this doesn't come from a place of like evil. This comes from a place yeah, of, of rationality. Just trying to, you know, I'm somebody here with two children as well who are uh, are, are scared because they they don't understand what's happening. So yeah, it just came from a rational place. I changed my mind quickly and I admitted I was wrong on it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think that like I wish more people would you know be um, confident and confident with themselves enough to be presented with new information and say actually you know I feel a bit differently on the topic but well there's, there's, a, there's a sorry there's an inertia to uh, admitting you're wrong so what a lot of people do if they've got something wrong they will double down I've yes. historically found that actually if you if you get make a mistake and you admit you're wrong and say you're sorry you have this like small percentage of people who will who will like be like oh you're a flip-flopper but generally speaking what happens you build a trust in your audience because your audience goes oh well look he makes mistakes and he admits when he's wrong okay great i can trust him i can trust what's coming out of his mouth is probably the truth and you just have to accept like there's this small little angry crowd of people who who don't like you for that yeah no i agree with you and i think um i've been following you for for a while and i think that well i've noticed that you've changed your stance on a lot of different things since being in crypto bitcoin and since you know building more of a community and more friendships in the bitcoin community um one that i noticed was guns am i right you change your stance on guns uh, i have a complex idea i have a complex view on guns so uh i was very like yeah i mean i was very anti-gun four or five years ago because 
Um, we don't have guns here, really. I mean, yeah. some some people own guns, but I'd only shot a shotgun once, clay pigeon shooting. Quite happy to live in a society without guns, and I, I, I don't really want it. I, you know, I'm a bit older than you, so I remember the Hungerford killings where Michael Ryan uh, ran around Hungerford and killed something like 13 people. Uh, you might not even, uh, you probably don't, because you're quite young, you probably don't even remember... Um, Dumb blame because I was about yeah. 15 when that happened. And that was uh, up in Scotland where uh, I can't remember his name, but this weirdo went into a school and shot a bunch of, bunch of kids. I just don't like guns and I don't like gun crime. Um, and then also just seeing the the massive shootings over the years in the US, I'm, I'm just not a fan of guns. So I, I was very much anti-guns. And, and, and now I've got to kind of, again, try and take a nuanced position as best possible. Um, when I go to the US, uh, I love to go shooting. I've been shooting with Jameson Lop. I went shooting recently nice. with a few people in Texas. I enjoyed it. And I've learned a lot about gun safety and and such. Um, and I mean, firstly, I'd be, I wouldn't be arrogant enough to say that um, I think my opinion matters or, or, or what the rights for people are to have guns in the US. And I have definite empathies with both sides of the argument because I've interviewed people who are proponents of guns, people like Ragnar. Uh, I also interviewed a lady who works for a uh, charity called Texas Gun Sense, who her son unfortunately killed himself with a gun. So I've, I've seen the range of uh, arguments for it. But what I would say is, like, whilst I appreciate and understand guns in, in the US, I have no desire to change the rules in the UK. And, and I wouldn't even do it just to virtue signal to Bitcoiners who listen to my show. I think bringing guns into the UK would be an absolute disaster. I don't, I mean, look, if you really wanted a gun, a gun in the UK, you can get a gun, by the way. You can get a shotgun, you can get a gun. You just, there's just very strict restrictions on how the cabinet they're held in, how it's locked, and they come and do checks. But do I want liberal gun policies in the UK like they have in Texas that anyone can go buy a gun? No. I mean, and I don't think, you know, we have a social contract here in, in the UK and, and we have a democracy. And, and if it was put out to vote, I, I think you would have a very tiny vote. I mean, I, I imagine less than 5% of people would want it. So this kind of like, and this goes to this idea of trying to export cultures around the world or just because, yes. you know, just because people in America have their first and second amendment, they think the rest of the world should have it. But trying to export the cult, uh, export the culture of America across the world has had med many negative externalities. I think I've just come to the point of trying to appreciate that different countries have different cultures. I enjoy guns in the US. I don't really want them here. That is a very um, nuanced and gray area response. <laughs> I agree that it would be irresponsible to adopt the gun culture in America in the US, in, in, in the UK. It just wouldn't work. Um, but in terms of, if you, if you look at Canada, though. Do you think we should? Do you think we should have guns here? I don't think it would work and I think it would be dangerous mm. because I just think that I support guns. Like I, I support guns. I think, I think guns are very important. I'm suspicious of the government. Um, the last two years has shown me, um, you know, we need to protect ourselves and particularly with what's going on in Canada. Um, but I think it would be like the pros would outweigh the cons in some way. I think if we had, you know, guns suddenly imported into the UK, <laughs> It would be disastrous. So uh, you mean be, the you mean the cons would outweigh the pro? The the cons would outweigh the pro. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> that could be taken uh, out of context. And I, I just don't think I know that you in America in seventeen seventy six because they had guns they were able to take on our tyrannical British government and throw a tea into the sea and yada yada. Um, I just don't see a scenario in the UK whereby like 
we have that uprising which requires us to have guns to take on the tyrannical government. And yes, it could happen, but it's I, I think I'm thinking about probabilities. I think the probability of a scenario where we as a nation need to rise up, I just think it's unlikely. And uh, and I think the net effect on guns in the UK would be negative. We already have a knife issue, and uh, I don't I don't think throwing guns into that mix is uh, particularly useful. I was uh, I was having. Um, I was having uh, lunch with an old school friend the other day in the gym, and uh, he works for the police, he works for the Met, and he works on organized crime. He said, there's such an issue with getting guns in this country. It's so hard to get a gun. Guns are reused. So what happens is a gun will be used in multiple crimes. So one person will have it, and then it goes to another. Oh. And they loan, it, they loan it out around the country uh, to be able to do these crimes. There is a scarcity of guns. So if there were more guns, there wouldn't be that scarcity, and then there would likely be more crime associated with it and yes look i don't have a gun to defend myself in my house but the uk is relatively safe and when people bring up the knife crime it's it really is that's mainly gang on gang crime that is a uh, an issue of deprived estates where there's no opportunity a lack of pet parenting a lack of father figure and people are joining gangs and and, and part of being in a gang is having having a knife so i, I just don't i just don't see any positive uh, outcome for the uk having a, a, a gun culture like the US. My only issue with that is, I know you said we're relatively safe here, but we could have been Canada. Like we could have been Canada. And I think what concerns me with Canada, it, it's not it's not similar to America because the restrictions are different. You just, you can't even leave your country. You're literally a prisoner to your country unless you've not had a certain medicine. I want to like keep um, buzzwords off this. Um, you know, you're you're literally a prisoner in your own country. You can't even get a domestic flight if you haven't had Listen, a certain medicine. But it, it's not a medicine. Well, it, it, it is what it is, but I don't want to say certain words because YouTube will just, I don't know, demonetize, shadow and stuff like that. But you know what I'm referring to. Yeah, of course. But they have guns in Canada. So why, why aren't the truckers bringing out their guns? I mean, it's Do not they have a scenario. the same rules? Uh, I, don't same... Exact, I don't think it's the exact right. same rules, but but you can have guns in Canada. But what, what do you think would happen like if they had, I mean, look look at New York, you've got uh, you've got quite, you've got mandates within New York. I, I was meant to be there this week. I couldn't go because my daughter's not vaccinated. So yeah. that could, that can happen. I mean, look, what, what do people suddenly think in these scenarios? Everyone's going to suddenly bring out their guns. And you've got to remember that the, the, whilst Trudeau in our cohort is not particularly popular, there are other people who do support him. So what, they're going to descend into civil? I don't think this is a scenario where they descend into civil war. And I don't think this is, so I think we're, we're, we're far from that. Uh, and, you know, well, I mean, look, I'm a massive critic critic of uh, 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 Justin Trudeau. I, th I think he's a fucking moron. But at the same time, like, they're a democracy and he's democratically elected. And uh, and my my biggest criticism is they're trying to uh, clamp down on dissent and use tools such as uh, 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 like blocking your finances to stop dissent. I think that's bad. But that may be something they go through the democratic process and, and a conservative party comes in and repeals that. I don't know how it works out. But I, I, at the moment, I'm, I'm not seeing a scenario where I'm like, oh, we suddenly need a US-based gun policies in the UK. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I think um, the last two years has just pushed me and a lot of other people, and I think even you to some extent, more towards a certain, you know, smaller government ideology. Um, and I would never 
I would never say it would never come to the UK because I think we were so close to being um, to being Canada. But in terms of you know we're talking about knife but, crime. But, but really, like, you don't so, think we so were? I, no, I take issue with that. I, how do you think we were so close to becoming Canada? In what we way? just because there was uh, there was a moment we had vaccine passports for starters, right? We had those, albeit it was for three weeks. I truly did believe we? if yeah, we did for three weeks. We had vaccine passports. In major had, for like for like um for like clubs for major things like um uh, clubs big big events concerts that was the idea that's what was implemented yeah for for a so very we, short period of time for three weeks for three weeks. during during a pandemic when you know people are getting sick and dying that it was a tool of the government to try and open up the economy but what but at we the same it, time but but, but at the same time and it's not okay. Well, no, look, look, I think you've, I think you've got to look into the nuance of this. Look, I don't support mandates and passports, but I understand what the government was in a tricky position because uh, they're trying to – the role of the government is to support the electorate, and the electorate is what votes and puts the government in power. And the electorate is a wide range of views from those who are – uh, uh, who believe in like ultimate freedom and and those who want safety from the government and they're in a very tricky position and the NHS was completely overrun at one point you know there were people dying there were vulnerable people dying people with comorbidities and I think whilst I disagree with the lockdown the government's in a very tricky position in that they're trying to open up the economy but trying to protect the national health service at the same time so I think what it was naturally doing was trying different tactics and one of the tactics is say look if you're going to go to Wembley Stadium uh, and going to go and watch England. Ideally, you don't have COVID because it's a it's a it's a, a event with a lot of people, and it could lead to a big spread. And that spread could lead to a lot of people going to hospital and a lot of sickness and illness. So I don't support passports. We understand why they did it, but I think it's a massive stretch to say that we're close to becoming Canada. We could have been because I think we, the reason why all of this has been reversed is for several reasons. First reason is because Boris Johnson broke our lockdown rules, right? Or his own lockdown rules. How can you implement further things if you didn't even take the, the damn thing seriously in the first place? If your leaders aren't afraid of the virus, like why should anyone else be? So that's the first thing. How, how can you get, how can you continue? Second thing is I think that we had a lot of um, people speaking out against it online um and i and you know really holding the government to account because we had those those, those kind of leaders um and i think they we are for me personally like i think we owe them a huge like thank you for you know every single day fighting speaking um and standing up for it if we didn't have that i think we would have continued i mean we didn't even have any opposition from the labor party i mean keir starmer was totally in favor of more restrictions back in december but this is how democracy works. Democracy works in that you have the push and pulling within government and you have the push and pull of the people. And you have the you have the right to demonstrate, you have the right to protest. Now, we had the right to protest in the UK and there were protests and people were heard. We, we were, I would say, during this entire process, we've been a very well-functioning democracy, which is that sometimes done things that like people disagree with. But I think this is why sometimes it's important to step out of your cohort because within your cohort, it's very easy to think like, everything is uh, authoritarian, everyone is becoming a Nazi. But if you actually step out of that cohort and go and look into different groups, like a large percentage of the population very much supported what the government did. This is why I spent so much time talking to doctors and nurses, visiting hospitals and speaking to people on the front lines, because they, they were the people who say to you, look, we're in a difficult situation here at times. You know, these hospitals were overrun. They were dealing with lots of people dying. Now, that doesn't mean, Leia, I don't criticize the government and the complete fucking hypocrites. I do. I absolutely fucking criticize them. 
But at the same time, I I don't I think it's a long stretch to say we we're close to becoming Canada. I actually think as a democracy we function really well. You know, if you actually look in Europe, we probably outside of like Sweden and and Belarus, we're like one of the first countries to completely open back up and start pulling back the restrictions, which surprises me. But it surprises me, but that that's where I like that's where I challenge you. We were close to becoming Canada. I think we're a long way from becoming Canada. I think we actually functioned as a, a democracy in this process. Now, listen, not again, again, refer back to our cohort. A lot of people in it will not agree with it because they just hate any form of government. So any kind of like any kind of like rope I give them, any kind of like leeway I give them, it's like, well, fuck you, government's terrible. But I am somebody who supports democracy, and I think we function as a democracy fairly well. We saw the flaws in government, and what we're seeing is you know, people were removed from government. Uh, uh, Hancock, the absolute fucking moron, uh, was a complete hypocrite, and he's you know he lost his uh, place in the cabinet. Uh, Boris Johnson is massively under threat. Almost certainly the Conservatives will not be voted in in the next election because of their handling of this and their parties. And that's how democracy works. My, my biggest problem with democracy is, is that... We have this great pull between the left and the right, and especially in the UK, being a uh, not being a two-party system, we have that kind of like ability that if you're if you're if you're pissed off with the Conservatives, pissed off with Labour, well, there's other parties you can vote for, we can influence. They don't have that in the US. But my biggest problem is whether you have this pull left or right, because you know they have that pendulum swing in from you know from more conservative policies to more liberal policies. Government still gets bigger, and this is where I wish libertarians would engage in politics more because. Yeah, I fundamentally agree with libertarians. I just think a lot of the ideas just don't work out in reality. But if libertarians, if there were like libertarian parties with a larger uh, 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 control of the vote, especially in a representative democracy, as well as having that left and right, you would hopefully have that pull between big and small government. We don't mm. have that thing that is trying to create smaller government because government always gets bigger. It's what Eric Voorhees told me years ago. He said, I just wish government would get smaller. I think if we had more libertarians in government and more lib like a stronger libertarian party, not only we would have that push of left and right, which balances the needs of different people in society, we would also have that push and pull on the size of government. That's a really good point. That actually didn't occur to me um, because we often think, you know, by voting conservative, you're voting for a smaller government, but you're not. Can, can I... Um... I just want to respond to somebody. I'm just seeing one of the comments. There is no democracy. Oh, it's only it. two parties in the UK, Labour or Conservative. Anything else is a wasted vote. This guy has no clue. Actually, that guy has no clue because what he doesn't understand is that, um, for example, with the Liberal Democrats, they actually had a role in government because you have to have a like, I yes. can't remember what the percentage of the vote is. Um, no, so they ended up uh, becoming part of government. With you have to have 51%. You have to yeah, have 51%. So if you can't, then... Is it 51? I thought it was more than yeah. that. But they, ended, but they, but they ended up being able to bring liberal Democrat policies into government because they needed that coalition. So unfortunately, uh, that guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, you do need, you need 51%, which is what happened in um, 2010. We, um, we had the hung parliament. And so hmm. they were supposed to, they weren't supposed, I think it was the conservatives. I can't remember so long ago. Wow. It was the conservatives. Yeah. But what it, yeah. The, the problem with it was, is they had a weak person in charge of liberal Democrats who ended up giving up all was of their. Was it Ed Miliband? Was it Ed... Uh, no, no, no. Ed Miliband's Labour. Um, Oh, it was, uh, oh, I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. That's how irrelevant and weak he is. <laughs> I'm too old. I'm terrible with names. But they ended up kind of relenting on anything which the Liberal Democrats stood for yeah. just to get that part in government, which was a real shame. But to say it's just a two-party system is is um, just wrong. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's a, I get why people say it is a two-party system, but obviously they, they did have an effect, especially when it came to rising, um, increased student, um, student loans, 
or just the, the, the cost of the cost of university. That was it. Cause they said the Lib Dem said they wouldn't increase it, but then mm -hmm. they had to increase it because of the, yeah. because of the coalition. So yeah, it's true. There yeah. you go. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Canada and what's going on with Bitcoin. Um, it was so fascinating. I think my favorite day in Bitcoin has to be the nunchuck response for the non-custodial wallet. That was just unbelievable. Um, so empowering. So Talk to me about, you know, your thoughts on where Bitcoin comes into all of this and how the government are going after crypto right now. Yeah, I mean, look, super interesting. I think uh, some of these people within uh, the Canadian government got a lesson in what uh, censorship resistance mm -hmm. is and self-sovereignty is. Uh, so that was great. Uh, I think what happened with GoFundMe and SendGo, whatever it's called, uh, I think was a fucking disgrace. I mean, this was legitimate funding of a... Uh, of a demonstration. Now, look, we can get into specifics because some people say it was an occupation. And uh, Preston Berm put out a very good tweet thread that explained that, look, if 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 you wanted to stop the uh, blockade, that could be done with under the laws that currently existed. And I think there are some good arguments to say that, um, you know, for the people of Ottawa, because I got a lot of emails from them, that parts of the blockade were actually damaging their business. Somebody wrote to me and said they couldn't get their kids to school. Another person wrote to me and said their mother's operation had been put back because she couldn't get to hospital. They are genuine issues whereby, look, I support protests and sometimes you need civil dis disobedience, but also sometimes you need to say, oh, well, hold on a second. If this then impacts other people's lives too negatively, we need a bit of a compromise in there. But to actually um, to actually take away the funding of these people to be able to afford to protest, it's a disgrace. Uh, but this is where Bitcoin comes in. We had this with um, Belarus, where the where Lukashenko is obviously a dictator, currently supporting um, uh, Putin's latest adventures. Um, he uh, he stole, you know, he he's a dictator of Belarus, and and the Belarus the Belarusians tried to uprise, and one of the ways they did that is they wanted to bring the state down by having state workers. Um, uh, strike but obviously these people need to uh, be able to pay their bills and feed their family so we were able as bitcoiners to send bitcoin to these people in belarus and support them it's exactly the same scenario it's exactly the same scenario these are people who want to be able to protest they want to be able to raise their issues of being mandated to have vaccines which i fully support them on they should not be mandated to have vaccines and um yeah i think it was great i mean you know, the the canadian government essentially banned these uh, fundraising platforms uh, under, I think it was under terrorism laws, which is ridiculous. But uh, and so us as Bitcoin, I said, great, Hong Kong hodl, let's uh, donate them Bitcoin. I sent some Bitcoin. I know a lot of other people, and we raised a lot of Bitcoin for them. And it it was amazing to 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 show them that that this is the power of censorship resistance. But there is a flip side to this that we have to be conscious of. You know, not only are we teaching them about censorship resistance and self custody, we're also then advertising this is a threat to them. So do mm -hmm. not, we should not be surprised if this leads to maybe other forms of uh, regulation or, or attempts to get control over this. That is something we have to be aware of. The, the, the benefits of censorship resistance are also a threat to the power. So that is something we need to be conscious of. Now, I think we're more protected in America at the moment because we have a political opposition that really heavily support Bitcoin. Uh, there, is, there is also some in, in Canada, but it's not as widespread. Ah, Nick yeah. Clegg. Nick Clegg, yeah, I saw that as well. Um, I think just one thing I, I want to say just about the, about the truckers, um, and the inconvenience that it, that it caused my only issue with the argument about, you know, people wanting to get their kids to school. And of course it's awful, you know, if people can't go to operations and things like that, the, the problem with that is just, of course it was an inconvenience, but what about what the government did to other people? 
it's an inconvenience, you know. So how how to what how do you protest? Like how do you have civil disobedience? How do you do that? Because you need to do that, right? Because your livelihood yeah. is literally being confiscated from you. So the only well, way to do that. Well, protesting yeah. is protesting is a spectrum. Um, but for it know, to be effective, right? It, it has to be on that far spectrum. Otherwise, nobody's going to listen. Well, look what happened during the Iraq war. Again, I don't know how old you were at that time, but they were the biggest protests in UK history. I, I, over a million people marching on the street. Everybody knew this was going to be a criminal war. It was based on lies. It was so unpopular to the point, I think we had two politicians step down, Claire Short and another person, I can't remember his name. Um, that's a problem with getting old, Leah. You forget people's names. Um, but, uh, you know, they were in, they were largely ineffective. The largest protests in UK history, and we could not stop our government entering into a, an illegal war that led to the deaths of one and a half million people and destabilized the entire Middle East. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to have civil di disobedience. You know, the the uh, the, the history of of the hu humanity is littered with examples where civil civil disobedience has been required to change overt policies uh, yeah. or policies of oppression. So yes. But I, like I say, there has to be that. Th this is like a, a complicated era um, mm -hmm. where, where I think it's important to see both, and especially if you're like hosting a podcast or you're a journalist. I think I think it's really important to try and seek out both sides of this argument. Which is you now after I did the interview with uh, uh, Greg Foss and the, the guy supporting the campaign, the, the Canadian truckers. I also then put out a tweet saying, "Look, I want to hear from the other side because I want to understand who it's affecting and why." So I just mm -hmm. I just think that's more about responsible reporting. I, I support protests. I support civil dis disobedience where it's required. But I also understand that, that perhaps there sometimes need to be compromises. Like if this is you know, if somebody can't get to an operation, how do we fix that? How do we resolve that mm. situation? Yeah, no, I understand. Um, so I think that the the establishment, the Canadian government and so on, didn't realize the extent of how censorship resistant Bitcoin is, right? Like that was just obvious from the email. So what happens at this point? Because the government is angry. Um I'm always very much on the side of Bitcoin can't be banned. There's always going to, you know, the network, like even whether there's just two miners on the network in El Salvador, the network is still going, Bitcoin still exists. Like it can't be banned. Um, but what does it look like for um, innovation and our community and also just the price as well? Um, if more of the establishment and world leaders wake up to just how censorship resistant it is. Well, Bitcoin can be banned. It just can't be stopped. I think I think that's the point you're trying to make. I yes. Mean, you can, okay. Fair you, enough. Yeah. You can ban it. I mean, Bitcoin is banned in China. It hasn't stopped everyone using hasn't it. Hasn't stopped it. Correct. Yeah. Um, but the, the, I think there's two things government governments can do. They can ban it. I mean, it has been banned in China. It's banned in Bolivia. I think it's banned in Pakistan. Um, but they can they can regulate it to the point of being completely useless. Um, so we've seen various kind of like recommendations for. Uh, KYC extensions and as such within the US that would essentially bring Bitcoin into just being a commodity where the censorship resistance side is less prominent. It becomes more about the 21 million, which is you know a bit of bit of a shame. Um, but uh, outright ban it, I don't think something that would happen in America. But be, you know people can regulate exchanges, they can regulate money transmitters, they could just make it very very difficult. This is why we need uh, education and we need strong people within politics which support bitcoin which is yeah some people say oh ignore politics and all politicians actually no i think there's been some great work done in america 
working with politicians, especially mm. in Texas. Governor Abbott, I went to a, a session with him. Ted Cruz is a supporter of Bitcoin. Yeah. I think um, uh, Josh Mandel, Senator Lummis, like we've got this growing list of people who understand Bitcoin. And I think once people are educated around it, once and if you pick the right politicians, politicians who gen genuinely care about the electorate and genuinely care about the people, which do exist, if you can find those people and educate them about the benefits of Bitcoin, um, then you can avoid that kind of situation. What you've got to do is you've got to also work on the morons, people like Senator Warren, who continue to disseminate misinformation. She needs to be educated on why uh, uh, Bitcoin would be good for um, progressives. Okay, just on that point, does Senator Warren, like she put Bitcoin and Doge in the same sentence. Like, I like Doge, right? I think it's really funny. And, but that's it. That's the extent of my interest in Doge. Um, you know, it's obviously not Bitcoin, but she put Bitcoin and Doge in the same sentence. The other day, didn't she say that um, Elon Musk didn't pay any tax? So is she just, is she dumb or is this done on purpose? I mean, how do I know? How do I know what she's up to? I, I, I used to have faith in her. I saw her Senate testimony. Well, I, I mean, look, when Mnuchin was recommended uh, under Trump, I saw her Senate, Senate questioning of him. I can't remember what they call it. I'm not an American, but the 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 they have to go through a process where they're uh, proposed and questioned. And I saw right. her really go after him. I I saw her uh, Senate testimony here referring to uh, the removal of or the muting of Glass Steagall. Um, which was a a, a a policy which like a policy change which essentially led to the 2008 financial crisis. I saw her complaining that Goldman Sachs is essentially a, uh, essentially has a office within uh, uh, the the White House. Like she seemed to be going after financial corruption and the uh, the bankers. Uh, and I was like, okay, this is somebody who would understand Bitcoin. But actually, really, she's just a mouthpiece. Just this, yeah. She's just a mouthpiece. And now she's going against Bitcoin. And so this isn't somebody who cares about the people. This is somebody who just cares about uh, politicking. I've got no idea who's speaking in her ear. I expect she's not gone down the rabbit hole. I don't think she's read the Bitcoin standard. I don't think she's listened to what Bitcoin did. I don't think she's jumped on crypto Twitter. I think she's got advisors. All these politicians, they have advisors who work with them on policy. And somebody's in her ear saying that Bitcoin is bad. It's bad for the environment. Let's attack it. Perhaps they're seeing that there's Republicans who are supporting Bitcoin. They think they should go against it because they want to make everything a political football. I've got no idea, but she's a liar. And she's spreading misinformation. Actually, she's spreading disinformation. Uh, also, every time she tweets about inflation, you're like, "Are you fucking? Are you are you serious? Like, are you lying on purpose?" Um, so yeah, I just have no faith in that woman. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You mentioned, you know, people who are looking out for the electorate, people who actually care, and I do agree with you. I always say, you know, um, when a political candidate comes out and is supposedly pro-Bitcoin, please have a look at their previous voting history so we can see whether they're using this as a ploy to get more votes. Because I think that's what we that's what we're going to start to see. Um, so in the UK, you know, we mentioned we spoke about Matt Hancock earlier. Um, so for those that don't know, Matt Hancock was the health secretary during lockdown. He was responsible for all of it. He was then cheating on his wife and banging his assistant, I think, during lockdown, where they told us we're not allowed to kiss anyone or have sex with anybody outside of your household. That's what they said. And, you know, clearly he did quite the opposite. But, um, oh, somebody is calling me from America. Let me just decline this. How weird. It's coming up on my computer. Um, so, yeah, that's what they said. And I think that, so he then disappeared. But the first time I saw him again, he was talking about making the UK this crypto-friendly place. 
Now I'm like, and then I saw a lot of people celebrating this and I don't believe it for a second. I'm just like, you know, you're using this as another way to get back into the public light, you know, be liked again and so on and so on and try to be more, um, seem fresh or whatever it is. So do you believe this guy? Do you think, you know, he's got any good intentions of making crypto, making the UK crypto friendly? Does it matter? Well, it does because he, I believe, was also talking about CBDCs, which we can get into. Well, yeah, I, think I mean, that, obviously, what well, well, we all do, and and uh, Majee's uh, interview on Rogan this week I is love magic. Uh, 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 like is really highlights the issues with that. But um, I think it doesn't matter. I think it's part of the whole game theory, and everything's good. If you speak to Harry Sullock, he's got this like line where he says everything's good for Bitcoin. Um, if you if you if you look now, something like thirty percent of Americans own crypto or Bitcoin. If you get to the point where fifty people, fifty percent of the people own Bitcoin. You have an anti-Bitcoin policy. You, you have a policy which attacks the wealth of the electorate. So I don't. Th I think we get to a point where you can't have that policy. And I hope we get it to the UK. Yeah. Do I? Do I? Do I believe and trust government as a whole? No. Are there individuals who I believe are good or have good in them? Yeah. Uh, I believe people get corrupted by the system or worn down by. It. I mean, Arika Rose. I interviewed her. I mean, she's fantastic. She clearly wants to be a politician because she wants to do good. If she if she does become a politician, if she does get a, uh, a seat in the Congress, maybe in twenty years she's just like any other politician. But it doesn't matter really because if we want to grow Bitcoin, if we believe that that is the ultimate good, then if these people support Bitcoin, fine, I'll help them. I'll go and see Matt Hancock. I'll advise him. I'll tell him what he should do with his uh, Bitcoin policy. I've got absolute no issue with that. Whether it's genuine or not, I don't care. I just want them to support Bitcoin because I believe in Bitcoin. I think it's good. And I also want to talk about El Salvador because El Salvador has received so much hostility um, from the Bank of England, which is really laughable, from the US, from the IMF. Um, why do you think they've received so much hostility? I mean, look, I think the early days of the Bukele uh, presidency, uh, their actions he took, which were... Uh, which pointed towards author authoritarian in nature. Can you give me because, some examples? Well, so it's, I mean, they're, they're a single-term presidency. The Constitution says so, and they've changed that policy. Now, he'll, he'll be running for another, uh, another term. Now, listen, when I interviewed him, I, I said to him, I get it. I don't think one term's long enough to do this. But that is, that is a single person changing the, the policy of a country without, um, without going to consultation. Similar to the Bitcoin law, as much as I support the Bitcoin law, it was rushed through Parliament. Now, this is somebody who's who's whether he's a dictator or uh, uh, or whatever. He he is somebody who's making quick and fast decisions without really going through consultation. That said, it seems to be working. You know, the, you know, I, I think luckily we have someone like Alex Gladstein, who's like the conscious conscience of Bitcoiners. You know, he is, he is the conscience. He is the guy keeping an eye on things. He is the guy who's, like, observing and saying, like, like we need to be careful here. Um, I think the problem that people have with El Salvador, or, or Bukele specifically, is he doesn't give a fuck about international institutions. Uh, he just doesn't care. He doesn't care about the IMF. He doesn't care about the World Bank. You know, these people haven't really cared for El Salvador before. He recognizes that. So he's doing completely different policies. And these are policies that scare people. These are policies. That, and I don't think it's just about power. I think it's like these people don't actually understand Bitcoin. 
And so they see what he's doing. They think it maybe it's irresponsible, but it doesn't matter. He's doing it anyway. So I don't know, man. I can't give you a solid answer. How does this play out, though? Because we're yet to see... Right now, it's an experiment, right? We refer to it as, like, the El Salvador Bitcoin experiment. Um, and I'm just trying to figure out how this plays out because it kind of plays into everything that we've been talking about. Right now, I think we're really at this push and pull between um, the, the state and the people. And we've seen that over the last two years. It's, it's clearly increasing, Canada and all this stuff. Are people going to be moving there? I mean, we saw today, like, tourism is up 30% since the Bitcoin law. I don't know if that's because of COVID and things like that. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how far they can go with this. Will other Latin American countries follow? You know, where's this going? Can well, it be listen, stopped? We're meant to not trust Verify. Uh, so what I would say is take everything with a pinch of salt. Uh, I saw the double-digit GDP growth. I've got no idea... You know, my first question is like, well, was there a GDP drop because of COVID? And therefore, is that the bounce back? Because I know we had massive, we had a massive GDP increase in the UK, but we had that was a bounce back after COVID. You know, yeah. So like, I do have questions. I, I, yeah, it, it's similar. What was tourism like during COVID? It's obviously okay. dropped. So, so I think, I think I, I, like when I saw those numbers of people going, oh my God, look at this, the greatest um, uh, GDP growth in uh, El Salvador history has never been double digit. I was like, well, hold on a second. Like, just give me the data. And also at the same time, like he's a politician. So one of his jobs is marketing. Now I've got no idea. I, I, you know, we're meant to not trust verify. So uh, I don't know the data. It is a huge experiment. Who knows how this will play out? But I, what I would say is I have 95% of my wealth in Bitcoin for a reason, because I believe in it. Okay. So do I think Bitcoin policy will be good for El Salvador in the long run? Yes. He's taken a massive, brave gamble being the first. Being the first is risky. Being the second is less. Being number two, three, four is less risky. You don't want to be country 150. I agree with you. I think you. I think the USA is going to be country 150. I've That's no way. I mean, I think they already probably own a lot of Bitcoin. They've got Bitcoin they've confiscated. They've got Bitcoin they'll probably yes. keep. Um, I, 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 I absolutely don't think they'll be the final. I think Europe is going to be like one of the last. Like the countries of Europe are going to be one of the last. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. So we said we'd chat for about an hour and we have like 10, 15 minutes left. And there is something that I feel like we should get into. Um, <laughs> so the other day we had a bit of a tiff and then we said in private, we don't want to argue. Um, you made it a tiff. I didn't make it a tiff. You asked me how old I was. <laughs> you retweeted it. It was funny because I was just having fun. No, I'm just having fun. Well, so And I sent, you the, I sent you the compromise. I said, you let's did. not argue. You did, and I appreciated that. Um, so we kind of agree or disagree a little bit on feminism. And, um, you know, we wanted to get into this, and I, it's not suitable. You know, your podcast is very Bitcoin only. I'll talk about absolutely anything. I hate feminism. And, you know, you were sort of asking me, you know, what do I do if I have, you know, daughters and I want to tell them that they can do anything? So... What is feminism what, what to you? Feminism... I think initially at the start, feminism, I would, I would believe in, right? In terms of equality, you know, women should have the right to vote. And looking at like the actual legalities in this world and sort of saying, you know, do we have equal laws? Like, are we treated equally? And for me, that's sort of where it starts and ends. Right now, feminism is, is I think, more detrimental to women, unfortunately. Um, I think it's gone too far. Well, what part, of, what, what part has gone too far? 
the biggest issue, and I'll tell you this as, some, as a woman in her 20s who's, who's had a change of heart about a lot of different things, feminism lies to you. Okay. Feminism what, tells you, yeah, feminism tells you, be a boss bitch, right? When you're 18 and 19, yeah, sure, be a boss bitch. As you get older, there is no, there's no woman. I Show me a woman who's 40, the CEO of a company, super successful, no children. Tell me she's happy because she's not. That's basically what the path that feminism likes to take you down. So feminism is about telling women to, to go out and be a boss bitch and then they might miss out on having a, a child. Because I think feminism is, is like the scope of feminism is way wider than that. And I think about feminism from the point of being a single father with a daughter who asks me questions. You know, she comes home from school. She said, oh, the boys got to do this. Why don't we get to do it? What did or, they get to do? Like it might be the boys play football. We don't get to play football. We play netball. I'm like, do you want to play football? She's like, oh, I don't know. But like maybe. Or the boys are a bit, you know, tend to take over and dominate things. Like you know, she just comes back with questions. And I always have to empower and say, you can do everything that a boy does. Or you can do everything, you know. So like I, I'm trying to, as a father, empower her to think she is equal. And this, it takes me back to this kind of, world of libertarianism one of the oh, let's go to ancaps one of the reasons i have issues with anarcho-capitalism is that negative liberty really uh, is something i've been reading about which is something this kind of guy isaiah berlin wrote about but the issue with negative li liberty is it empowers the strong and um it disempowers the weak and one of the great things that I saw this great interview with Jordan Peterson, where this guy talks about like the civil rights movement, civil, well, no, he was actually a guy making, that was challenging uh, uh, Jordan Peterson with regards to uh, should, should uh, a cake shop be able to uh, refuse to make a, a cake for a gay couple. And he's, yeah. And he said, no. And, and, uh, and then he brought him up on the idea of the civil rights movement and, and, and Jordan Peterson, you know, did 180. So actually I had that, that issue wrong. And this is one of the things that like I love about centralization and statism is that, that we have had these progressions in society that have made a more equal society that we've, that we've, uh, we have had the civil rights movement. We have, uh, uh, created more equal opportunity for women in the workplace. And so me as a father, like a lot of that has come from women themselves as well. Of course it has. So, Yes, everything is a, everything always has a spectrum. I'm sure in feminism, there's a bunch of absolute freaks out there who just like will just promote really weird shit. But at the same time, like my, if my daughter wants to have a career and she wants to go out and be successful, I'm absolutely going to support her. I'm not going to turn around and say, "No, darling, you need to be prepared at 24 to start thinking about marriage and babies because you might miss out on that later in life." I can't tell my daughter that. There's no way I can tell her that. And you Don't look. You that, that might lead to her getting into her 40s and not having a child and you know being sad about that. But there's also, for every woman you say who's sad about that, there are also women who are sad they missed out on building a career and only raised children. There's always that thing where the grass is always greener. It's about, it's about being honest. It's about having an honest conversation. So I would say I'm somewhat successful for my age and what I do. And I would put much of that success down to my brother. So my brother has always empowered me, right? I think, and this is the thing with, with men and women, with, with feminism, actually. I think feminism sort of disregards the value of men. I think there's so much that, uh, that I can learn from a man to be successful in life in many different ways, not just work. 
like I, I value men so much. Like I look up to men. I think men are, are amazing. Not all men, most men I think, I think are pretty great, right? So I would attribute a lot of my success to my brother because he's hugely empowered me and said to me, you can do anything. Your gender has nothing to do with it. But what I think is important is to have an honest conversation with your daughters and say, you know, have that career because I think actually women should be financially independent. That's really important. Every individual should be financially independent. So you're not, um, you know, relying on either the government or your partner, but have an honest conversation and just say, you know, like you will turn an age and you don't have as much time as a man. And these things are a a matter of fact. And it's about not, 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 not addressing that because that's what we tend to see. Like, I tell you, I, I said to you before, I think, there's, I think there's a way bigger problem with dating apps than feminism for women. I do. I fundament, I've got a theory on this. And, uh, so when I was like, when I was just, uh, your age, Leia, if you wanted to get a girlfriend, you, you'd have to talk to somebody in, in real life, human form. You'd be in a bar or yeah. you'd be in a club. And if you saw a girl and you're like, God, she's hot. Like, I, I need to go and talk to her. And it was a terrifying experience, and it made you a you, man. And if, no, if you got no, no, like everyone, every guy's a pussy when it comes to this. Apart from, you've always got this like one friend who is, but like you would go and do it right, and occasionally you get rejected, and it's like it's heartbreaking, it's killer. But like every now and again, a girl would be like, "Yeah, hey, talk to you back," and then maybe like you would ask her out, and she'll say yes. And it's like holy shit, I've got a date, and then maybe like after the date, she would want to see you again. And like, if you were like super lucky, she would actually want to have sex, sex with you. And it was like, it was like this experience that you would go through and, and maybe you'd be like, wow, this person's amazing. And you would stick with it. And it was a real challenge for guys and, and women controlled it. And the problem you've got now with dating apps is like, guys don't really have to fucking work anymore. That they've, they've swapped out going up and talking to somebody and having a pair of balls to do that with a swipe. Ah, she says, no, great. Go to the next one. Oh, all right. I've got 50 new matches today. Hey, do you want to go out? Do you want to fuck? Like they've just made it so easy for guys and it's flipped the script. When I speak to my, my friends who are girls, they're like, it's an absolute nightmare. No guy wants to commit now. We've created this kind of like culture of fuck boys. You know, this culture of fuck boys, which is absolutely terrible. And it's flipped the script. And I think that's a bigger problem for women in that all these girls I know in their thirties, it's not that, they can't have a baby. They can't find someone to have a baby because no guy wants to commit. It's such an interesting topic. Um, it's also, there's so much to this that I just shouldn't say on a podcast. Um, <laughs> so I'm just, as, as, you're, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking, no, I mean, what were these women doing in their thirties? You know, I don't know how they behaved. You know, you, if you want to, if you want to attract somebody of high value to have a baby with, you have to be high value yourself. And you have to compromise and you have to do certain things. So I don't know these women in their, in their 30s. They might be saying, you know, that everyone's a fuckboy. But what were you, how were you behaving when you were 23, 24, 25? I don't know how they were behaving. So there's another, there's another, you know, part to that. I think there are really good men out there. I think there are really good women out there. Um, but if you want to attract high value, then you have to be high value. And that does mean compromising, you know, as a man, that might mean working incredibly hard. That might mean, you know, physically looking gorgeous, you know, getting your body in shape. Um, it might mean working incredibly hard to make a lot of money. As a woman, it might mean sacrificing certain things, you know, having to do certain things for your husband, whether that's like 
you know, cooking, cleaning, I don't know, whatever it is, but the, you know, these, these sort of things require compromise. So I don't know what they were doing. I know that a lot of women in their twenties, unfortunately, um, behave really badly. So I'm not surprised when a lot of women, it's not just women, men, men and women behave badly. It's like a human nature. And, and on the whole, I suspect it's men who tend to behave more badly because we're fucking idiots. And we, we I don't mean that kind of behave badly. I don't mean what that do mean? kind of behave badly. What do you mean? I mean, like, oh man, we could, they, we gotta, yeah, I gotta run, you gotta run. We, we could talk about this for ages. Um, I haven't gotta run. I, I, have a, I have a networking event tonight at seven in an hour. I've gotta, okay, let me just say, just what say I it. mean by this, what I mean by this is men don't like women that have been with the entire community, right? You just don't. Men just don't like that. They are you don't avoiding the are you avoiding the slut word? Like, okay, well, listen. Firstly, there's no way a guy has to find that out. That's secret information, and and I don't know many women like that. And look, if a girl wants to go and be slutty, but that's up to her. I mean, look, of course why, it's yeah. up to her. But I'm just saying, like, this is going to be detrimental in terms of finding the kind of person that you want to find. And so you get to thirty, and you're wondering why you're still single. Why? Why did? Why does it mean that's like? what you know who knows what's happened maybe they've gone to university then they've got a job now they get into their like late 20s then one and settle down and they just find it difficult i think i think there's a myriad of reasons i think it's difficult to binary place on one thing i think also just like the world has changed like relationships have become like uber like oh i want a relationship tonight i don't want one tomorrow yeah instant gratification i think a lot of that's happening um um i think that i think there's like a whole bunch of reasons uh I know you want to go. All I'm, no, all I don't I'm saying want to is, go. that's not nice. No, no, but like, no, no, you need to go. And we can I do this again. To. We could do this a hundred times. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm massively out of my depth here. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I've got a twelve-year-old, <laughs> a twelve-year-old girl who like comes to me and asks me stuff, and there is no way I can turn around to her and say, "Darling, listen, you need to be preparing for when you're about 24, 25, thinking about having a baby because it's going to be harder in your thirties, and so you need to find yourself a man and." You know, who can look after you. I just, I can't do that. I can't have that conversation. Maybe her mum can. Maybe that can come from her mum. But I'm not going to, like, perpetuate this belief in her her eyes that, like, it's a man's world. Because it still exists. It's not a man's world. But it's not a man's world. I'm not saying it's a man's world. Because it's such a, it's just such a can of worms. It's not a, it's not a man's world. Um, I have, right now, I would actually argue that it's, it's both. It's both. But, you know... There's a lot of advantage to being a woman in this world right now. Um, of course. But as a 12-year-old girl, I don't think there's many girl, like boys coming home from school and saying to their, their dad, going, oh, the girls get to do this. I wish we did. I don't, I don't think that happens as much, but it definitely happens with a 12-year-old girl. So there still is that thing. And, you know, and I, I just I don't have it in my heart to turn around to her and say, sorry, darling, but, like, you need to be like, – like I say, maybe it's this conversation for our mum to have, and that, that's fair. But I don't, I don't have that in me. I just, I can't do that. No, I respect that. But what I will, what I will say Look, is, you've got this guy, empowering. Matthew, Matthew McCauley, following the conversation. Like he's just, oh, let me a see. Fuck, it just like Leia is correct. Wait, where yeah, is? Yeah. Oh, it's gone. Look, Leia is correct. Women's fertility is. is ah, we'll talk. Do you know what, Peter? Look, we need no, to do an in-person I, podcast, okay? No, I'm just going to reply to him. I, of course, I can explain biological reality, mate. I can explain biological reality, but at the same time, I'm balancing the hopes and dreams of a young girl. I'm not going to try and crush it by telling her at 12 years old she needs to think about having a baby, you fucking idiot. I'm just God, reading these people. comments. He probably well, doesn't even have any children. What I'll say is this is this is my this is like where my feminism starts and ends. It's that every 
individual, including women, should never rely on somebody else, whether it's the government or their partner, their husband, their wife, for financial security. That's very dangerous. So every individual should be empowered and should have their own financial stability. That way, well, Blair, how do you how do you balance building financial security but having this fertility ticking time bomb? It's fucking shit. How do you balance that? You, I don't know. I'm I'm in the middle of doing it and balancing it. It's it's really shit, but but that's life. That's life, and it's a reality, and it's a reality that I accept. It's a reality that I accept. And so I work harder than men. I work harder to do to, so that I can have everything by 30. This is what Jordan Peterson talks about. This is just the reality of it. But the important thing is that I'm, that I'm far away from 30. And so I'm very aware at this stage. And that is important. It's just awareness. It's awareness of reality, which not a lot of women have. So when they get to 30, 31, 32, 30, 35, still single, and they're unhappy and they don't understand why they can't find someone. And it's, it's a whole can of worms, um, but it's about having an honest conversation. And that's why it is harder. That's why women grow up faster than men do. Women get periods at 12 years old and have to deal with that in public. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? You go swimming, you know, and boys can still be children at that age. So women have, it's harder to be a woman mm. in certain regards, but it is what it is. It's okay. And, you know, there are many advantages at the same time. Men, it's also very hard to be a man at the same time, you know, because there are a lot, of, really a lot of difficulties. I, I, I've not found it hard at all. No, I, you're not finding it hard? No, I don't find it. And I th I, when I hear people complain and go, oh, it's so hard for a, a like a white male this day, I just don't experience that. I, 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 I personally haven't. Uh, I think Fair. every opportunity is in front of me. There's no blocks in front of me for what I want to do. But I do see there's blocks for other people, you know, depending yeah. on, you know, the luck of the draw. There are gender blocks. There are uh, uh, ethnic, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, ethnicity blocks there are geographical blocks I, I just don't have any in front of me but like I say I have a daughter and I'm trying to be empathetic to her trying to lead her in, in the right way and explain certain things in the right way and some of it you don't want to get it wrong some of it's quite challenging and uh, it's very easy for somebody commenting to just jump in there and just like come out with a comment like they know suddenly what the answer is these are complicated issues you know these are complicated things you're dealing with when you're parenting and uh, you want to give your child the best opportunity. You want to empower them. You don't want to scare them. Uh, but but you, like right now, I'm like, holy shit, I need to think about this as well. I need, this is another thing. So I'm going to have to talk to her mother and get, get on the phone and say, at what point you do should. we deal with this? You know, it's like. You should. It's, it's just it's, about being it's truthful. It's complicated. Yeah. Yeah, it's just about being truthful. And, you know, she can do anything she wants. She can be that boss CEO. Like, I, I love what I do. It comes from my heart. It's not really, it's not about money. It's about freedom. And I'm not going to stop. But unfortunately, you know, I do want to be a mother as well. And so not unfortunately, but like, it's just unfortunate that I have these two things that I want. Um, and so I will have to figure out a way to do both. And I'm just grateful that I'm aware at this age, because I'd be very upset if I woke up. You know, I wish I was aware even younger. That, yeah. you know, that's the truth. I wish I was but, aware younger. But listen, listen, it's you know, it's great that you have that. Not not everyone, not every girl does. You know, not everyone would have the confidence to start a podcast and go on and you know, you know what it's like. I mean, you take shit online and get all the negative so comments on your YouTube channel, weirdos and everyone complaining, and you get the backseat listeners who think they can do a better job, and really just because their lives are miserable and they're complete failures, they can't do anything, but they want to sit there and have a go at you. You you've got the confidence to go out and do that. You're you're in the arena. You take the beatings and do it. Now I know what it's like, and it's tough. Not everyone has that. Like not everyone has that ability to do that. And you will be hugely successful. You're going to make a lot of money doing it really well. I mean, you're crushing it at 24. 
Is it 24? I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm not like, 24. I, if you're younger, I'm going to be depressed. But uh, I'm saying you are cr absolutely crushing it, right? But not everybody has that confidence, that ability. They don't have maybe the educational background. They don't have the uh, – maybe you've got supporting parents and the, the parents that, that give you that. Yeah. So, or, or, or maybe you didn't have supporting parents and it, and it, and it like spurred you on. Like there's like the world is made up of different people and and not everyone can go and do that. I'm glad for you that you can, but not everyone's going to go out and be able to do that, be able to get financially secure and independent, not rely on a man and, 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 and but still, you know, put themselves in a position when they want to go and have a baby and, and be able to support themselves if it doesn't work. Like it's, it's highly complex, right? Yes. Fucking hard. All right. I have to run into London now. I'm going to get an Uber. I'm too far away. Um, but I've had so much fun chatting with you. I'm so happy we did this. And we'll have to do it again in person, whether it's in London or Miami. I don't know where we'll do it. But, Peter, I want to thank you so much. Um, I'll do it any time. I, I, I yeah. always enjoy this. I always enjoy talking to you. And uh, But let's do it Let's do it in person next time and yeah. turn, the comments, turn the comments off because, <laughs> honestly, that fucking idiots. Fed up a list. <laughs> we'll have to do that it. Shit. No, but thank you so much. It's been so good speaking Anytime. with you. And let me know right. when you're in Miami or if you're in London and we'll we'll meet up and we'll, we'll do another one in person. All right, cool. Anything you need, just give me a shout, yeah? Perfect. Take care. And I'm going to see, I'm seeing you in Miami, yeah? Yes, I'll be there in April. Hopefully they'll let me in. Um, but yeah, I'm about to book my flights this week. So yeah. All right, cool. I will see you there. All my right. daughter will be there. You can meet her. Oh, that'll be great. I'll, I'll empower her to go get her dreams while looking for a mat. No, I'm joking. She's too young. Okay. All right. Take care. Peace out. Bye.